Want to get a taste of one of the best events in manufacturing? Today, we're giving you an inside look at the A3 Business Forum. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, welcome. Today's episode is another Greatest Hits bonus episode. Specifically, we're going to be chatting with a number of manufacturing leaders that we got to meet at the 2022 A3 Business Forum. Now, I think many of you are familiar with A3, but if you're not, it's the Association for Advancing Automation, the leading global automation trade association for robotics, machine vision, motion control, and industrial AI. I'm going to say it a different way, though. The people in this association probably make up the single strongest group of manufacturing and automation leaders in the industry. I mean, if you just look at this podcast, we've featured tons of guests associated with A3. Eric Nieves of Plus One Robotics, Samir Menon of Dexterity, all the folks we talked to at the AMR and Logistics Conference, that was actually an A3 event, as well as their longtime president, Jeff Bernstein. So to transition that into the point of this episode, the A3 Business Forum is their premier leadership and networking event of the year, and it takes place basically every January, February. Now, what makes this event itself so great? I actually collected my thoughts and wrote a short post on this on LinkedIn earlier this week, but a few of the things that stuck out were, one, the caliber of attendees. I mean, we're talking about business owners or rising stars in the industry, folks that take their career seriously, and more importantly, are looking for ways to help one another and collaborate. The second thing is, the event had a ton of relevant information and amazing keynote speakers that were very pertinent to today's automation industry. For example, renowned and actually very entertaining economic expert Alan Bolio gave a tremendously meaty and engaging talk on what to expect out of global industries in the coming year and years ahead. He also had guys like Sunil Gupta talking about his entrepreneurial journey and what sets certain companies apart from others, as well as NASA engineer Adam Steltzner talking about putting a rover on Mars. Long story short, lots of great content that I felt was the perfect mix of actionable and inspirational. Finally, the A3 Business Forum is just a great community of diverse thinking, and hopefully you pick up on that in today's interviews. We're going to be covering a lot of discussion around robotics, but also education, hiring, talent retention, as well as cybersecurity. We've got six great interviews for you, and we're even bringing back someone from the Manufacturing Happy Hour and A3 communities to co-host these interviews, Jay Call, the Manufacturing Millennial. All right, one last thing before we jump into the interview. If you want to connect with any of the guests we talked to or get more information on anything here in this episode, including A3 events, head to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash A3 forum. Also, if you get a sense of FOMO from listening to this episode, just know that A3 is always hosting amazing events. Their website, automate.org, is probably the single best web address to see whatever they have going on at the time. But if you're listening to this before June 2022, you should consider checking out their massive trade show in Detroit called Automate, taking place June 6th through 9th. Again, all these links will be over on the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash A3 forum. Okay, we have a long episode, so let's jump into the first interview. I mentioned that we'll be covering a lot of ground today, education, recruiting, robotics, and very appropriately, I feel like this first interview is a smorgasbord in and of itself. We're going to talk cybersecurity, television, juggling, and more, so I'm excited to introduce you to Jeremy Dodson and Jay Corpy of NextLink Labs. 
Am I on? I'm fine. Am I on? <laughs> all right. All right. That's, that's the way to start. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Jay, Jeremy, welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour. So first question, you know, if we were, you know, I know we're recording this in the middle of the afternoon, right? But if yeah. we were doing this over a drink and someone was saying to you, you know what? I, I know you guys work with cybersecurity, right? Yep. What's something I should be focused on going into this new year that maybe I might be missing? Um, that's a great question. We get it a lot. Um, a lot of times we'll focus on different technologies, emerging trends. There's so much happening right now mm-hmm. that uh, what we usually advise at this point is uh, training for as much of it as possible. Um, empowering your people to make decisions that will allow them to feel that they can report what they're seeing, that there's a system in place for that. So building not only that training environment, but a way to empower your employees to then take that information and get it to the right people. So that no matter what that threat is, whether it's a known uh, threat that's been around for a while or an emerging threat that still people are dealing with, um, you can start capturing it early. For example, this would have been great for Log4j. Um, That attack, if more people were empowered to look for some some different types of anomalies that probably could have been captured, um, but I never would have been able to predict that. And I I don't think a lot of people would have been able to predict. Uh, The only thing we could say is that Java is hard to deal with. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. and I, I think from my side of it is definitely um, to piggyback on that is the training of the human element, making sure that uh, people aren't um, uh, afraid to speak up uh, to you know uh, regardless of what it is. So you see something, say something kind of mentality. And if you see somebody um, from the social engineering side, somebody trying to access your area instead of just holding the door, allowing them mm-hmm. and not questioning, but to question. So mm-hmm. uh, supporting your staff, uh, allowing your, your human element of that staff to have the ability to question things that are happening Very and important. to question yeah. other members and say, you know, I, I haven't seen you before. You know, who are you? Oh, I'm the new CEO. Oh, you actually are. Nice to meet you. You know, it shouldn't matter who that person is. Still being able to uh, encounter them and say, stop. I need to know who you are. Verify yourself. Yeah, blameless culture on that process as well. Yeah. Completely. I, I Completely. like that you focus on like a non-tech answer because we are going to talk more tech here in a second, but the human element and then having that inquisitive nature yeah. around there. You know, you do a lot of cool things. I mean, when I was when I was looking up on you guys before we started this, a couple things popped out. So, uh, you know, I know that first answer wasn't necessarily tech oriented, but Mr. Robot, you guys have <laughs> you're involved. Tell tell us how you're involved in that show a little bit. Wow. So, Mr. Robot, um, that was quite serendipitous. It was actually uh, some of our information that we had used for some puzzles prior to with a company that uh, we created, Curious Codes, um, Mm -hmm. found its way into the show. Yeah. And uh, the show reached out to us and said, hey, um, you know, we would love for you guys to uh, advise and consult on this for the uh, technical aspect of things. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we said, yeah, we'd be more than happy. We would love to do that. And uh, that's where Jeremy was able to, to jump on with his uh, background in the NSA and, and everything else and, and kind of really explore that. Yeah. So it was actually one of the other founders had created a puzzle at a different event. Yep. Um, and uh, that... A puzzle that he created had a led to a phone number. Yeah, <laughs> and all of a sudden one day he and I were actually um, I was with the Department of Energy at the time, and we were actually on site, um, a classified site. So we had to leave all of our uh, our phones back into a different location. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came out to lunch, and his phone had exploded with really? just phone calls because that phone number that got put into the show oh, yeah. went back to his <laughs> his number, and he had left it active. Yeah, yeah. and um, so. From that point, uh, you know, we actually reached out to Cordana, 
um, let them know what was going on, and they were like, hey, let's let's do this right. That was a season one um, stuff. So, and, and then from season two on, uh, we uh, built the ARG for them. Uh, mm-hmm. With them, uh, we actually worked with a group out of New York, uh, Ralph, yeah. uh, who did an amazing job Fantastic at uh, all the artwork stuff, and yeah. stuff that we were doing. And uh, then our team, um, led by that founder, um, you know, had uh, worked a lot on the puzzles that uh, made up uh, uh, that ARG itself, which mm-hmm. had a huge following. A lot of great people, people who we still talk to today. In fact, oh, we were invited gosh, to yes. one of their weddings um, not too long ago. Um, and well, it, uh, Yeah, that, I mean, so... Uh, that that group was so fantastic. Uh, they found out that I was building a house. Uh, somebody sent me a faucet for my sink. Like, <laughs> oh, that's nice. right. Yeah. And that then, is and, that is and great. Somebody, uh, you know, they said this is a faucet. You know that when I had when I was building my house, let me send it to you. And I was like, oh, this is great. So it's probably some kind of recording equipment. And I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but you know, so they sent it to me, and somebody else made me a cutting board because uh, they yeah. knew I liked. Good. So I mean, it's just. The, the that whole group was just that yeah. was an incredible I like the experience. security instinct in you it's like yeah there's probably recording equipment <laughs> in there yeah, probably can't, can't just be a faucet yeah season four then we ended up doing technical um, advising on yep. what the elements in the show um, yeah. like what are some of the realism of the attacks um, what are some of the realism of behind they were, there was a device that was used um I guess I should talk about it, I guess. Uh, it's out now. That's true. Yeah. Uh, they, were, they were trying to use a Stingray, and they wanted the technical knowledge of what we could release to them because yeah. it's a device that is kind of kept under wraps. So. When you do this, have they made some technical assumptions before you jump in and you kind of guide them in the right direction? Cordana, okay, was, Cordana is a phenomenal. He had, he had, he had, uh, he had a background in, uh, in IT, um, and I think he just wanted to stay true. And so by reaching out to the community, he reached out to DEF CON community, um, which is, again, how we ran into us. He, he stayed true to the attack with, um, and I always mispronounce his name, Eshmael. Esh- I always uh, mis- Sam, I, Sam Eshmael. Yeah, yeah, I always mispronounce his last name. But um, they did a phenomenal job um, trying to stay true to the industry using um, uh, tools that we actually as pen testers used and or as um, the attack attackers at the time would actually use. A lot of the commands that would be used there, uh, Dave Kennedy, um, his tool set was there. So SET, Social Engineering Toolkit, mm-hmm. um, they, they did a very, very good job. It was a very fun project. I hate that it had to end. I know. Um, but uh, they did a phenomenal job and it was it was really fun to be a part of. They, yeah, they they kept it realistic without uh, bringing it, making it boring. Yeah. So they, they were able to keep it exciting, interactive, uh, as well as an interesting, you know, realistic. The ARG thing, was so. just fun, wild oh, yeah. to see people interact. You know, they see something on the screen, they take that information, yeah. go into the real world, and now all of a sudden we've created this whole world for them to go down, solve puzzles, and they felt like part of the show. We yeah. would release some information early to them. Uh, they would get some some sort of insights. It was it was awesome. Well, one well when one project ends, the nice thing is you got a bunch going on. You're also very involved in juggling, and you introduced me to something last night, like juggling dodgeball. What's it called again? Uh, dodge juggle protect is the the official term for it now. I think when it first started, it was uh, dodgeball juggle. Um, but there's there's many different iterations of yeah. it. The one that we're involved with is uh, Dodge Juggle Protect, okay. and that's the brainchild of Jason Garfield, Jason Garfield, who's the president of the World yep. Juggling Federation. And so. Um, we yeah we were lucky enough to be introduced to him. Uh, we you know we become good friends with him. Work with him on many other projects. Um, support the World uh, Juggling Federation and, and what it's doing for children around the mm-hmm. the world. So it's um, his, his outreach is great. And he he met us there and uh, he saw we were um, not your typical sports folks. I guess sure. you could say you know it's a kind way. Yeah, that. I guess that would be yeah. <laughs> Thank um, God no video here. Yes. So uh, <laughs> otherwise people would see what we're talking about and. Um, 
he said, would you be interested in, in joining this? And, uh, you know, a little dis- he's, he's big into juggling. He's in good shape. And he had a, um, a dodgeball team over there that was, it was in pretty good shape as well. And so he <laughs> knew that they were going to be the champions. So we came in for the inaugural year. And um, the last four years, we won it. So uh, yeah. as, the, uh, as the hackers, the, you know, the non-physically – Inclined the underdogs. true folks. dodgeball yeah. fashion. We it were is. underdogs. Yeah. It was yeah. a great story. Yeah. It was really fun. And it was put well, on ESPN The Ocho as well. Yeah. So that was has, a fantastic thing. Has juggling <laughs> taught you anything that's helped you in, in your careers oh, as well? Oh, 100%. Yeah, well, I want to hear about that because I, wa- I, I wanted you to know I wasn't just asking random questions about these <laughs> pop culture tie-ins that you have. <laughs> no, um, it, very much so. So uh, one of the things that we find um, not only in our industry but in our lives, our hobbies that we do, is that anytime you take a topic and break it down, like we broke down ransomware today, right? So you break down a topic and you just try and get rid of jargon. You try and get rid of all the things and learn Mm -hmm. what it is that makes, how you can more efficiently learn that thing, Mm -hmm. right? And in juggling, um, it's it's a true testament to the amount of focus that someone has. I think if someone came in with a bunch of certifications in IT and a normal background and another person came in that was very, very hungry to learn about IT or cybersecurity and was a very, very good juggler, I would hire the person that was a very good juggler. Mm. Because I know the amount of effort that has to go in to learning that trade. Oh, and it's okay. true for a lot of things. Like, and, and, you know, if there's, we, some people put some crazy things on resumes. Um, and I say that uh, inquisitive minds, and uh, you find this in robotics a lot, right? In, in, in automation, you've, if you can get someone that is just wants to break the mold, wants to do good, and wants to be involved. In fact, I think it was Shane said, empower the workforce um, uh, yes. and, and let them sort of come to you with, this, uh, with, with uh, thoughts that, you know, they're been, they've been there for six months and they have ideas, right? Yeah. You want those people. And the people that are willing to make those sorts of decisions are people that will dedicate a large amount of time to learn a skill. And juggling is not something that is very easy to learn. And people like Jason um, juggling Garfield. Juggling magic. And, yeah. yeah it's, it's some amazing things um, that come out of that. And, yeah, that's, that's how it's sort of helped. Like everything I look at, I break down the same way. And I, Jay does the same thing. He's an amazing chef. I, I do I do enjoy dabbling in the food realm. Yeah. Ooh, just a touch. What are you cooking when you get home from this conference? Oh, when I get home from this conference, what's on the menu? Uh, probably going to do some lamb. Lamb? I, I love uh, a good... Uh, My daughter, Ailey, loves lamb. <laughs> a good lamb loin chop, um, maybe some potatoes. I don't know if I'll do uh, roast potatoes in English style that uh, my mom and grandma used to make, so... That's one of my favorites. And then you got to have a vegetable. I like to do a, a nice crispy um, Brussels sprout uh, with, with a little bacon. Mm. I mean, or I maybe not. Maybe just, just cook them in the lamb fat. Who knows? Yeah. I'm glad you went beyond just the lamb, right? <laughs> Side dishes as well. This is, well, we're going to bring it back to A3. We're going to bring it back to awesome. NextLink Labs as well. So let's start with A3. What's been your biggest takeaway from this event or something that's got you excited going into the, the new year and beyond? I would say that everybody here that we have spoken with um, has had very pointed questions mm-hmm. about either cybersecurity and also has been very, very knowledgeable in what they do uh, beyond what I would normally expect, especially some mm. junior individuals. Like, obviously, there's a lot of CEOs here, uh, but there were some junior individuals that we ran into that came with, they, they have that sense, that, that eagerness about them. Yeah. And they're in the right spot. They're surrounded by the right yeah. people. It's going to be awesome to see what they can do. Um, I remember having that sort of attitude uh, when I was younger, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's if you if you leave it and you and you guided it. I had a lot of great mentors that guided me, uh, that got me to where I am today, and um, 
they're they're starting off a lot earlier than I did. Yeah, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was very exciting to see. I I, I think one of the things um, that I was pretty excited to see was the the knowledge share you know you think in oh, yeah. robotics and stuff people mm-hmm. are like you know this is my information or ai you know oh this is my but everyone's just so willing to share and it, like jeremy said even with the junior folks you know yeah. it's not just the you know the the ceos holding on to and siloing their information they're sharing it with the junior folks saying hey let's all get on board and let's make this industry a better industry and yeah. so it's it's, you it's know, about raising that. the bar together yeah and then yeah. to see the the huge interest from folks uh, in security um i know that in the past it hasn't typically been a a major sticking point Mm -hmm. for um robotics and stuff especially the smaller companies that are are trying to grow but to see that people are very interested in cybersecurity and having cybersecurity talk here uh this year um that that's good that's that's showing things are are moving i feel in the in the right direction for the automated industry well, well, let's wrap talking about NextLink Labs then, right? Because you're focused on cybersecurity. You know, say, same type of question, right? You're having a drink with someone at a conference, at a bar, wherever it is, and they're like, hey, what, what does NextLink Labs do? You know, how do you describe it if you're having a beer with them? So NextLink Labs is interesting. Um, and NextLink Labs is what got me back into doing work. I actually thought I was not going to be doing cybersecurity. I thought I would mm. take a break for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to, I got introduced um, kind of a, in a roundabout way to some of the work that Jordan um, Saunders, who's the CEO and founder of Nexon Labs, was doing. And his background is DevOps mm-hmm. and development and custom software. And what struck me as different um, is I dealt with a lot of developers and it was always product, product, product. And that was pretty much it. Mm-hmm. And again, the, we, we, we learn about, you know, you concentrate on that. You have a lot of technical debt because now you're going to have to go back and secure that. You may or it may get attacked. And now that product doesn't exist anymore because you didn't take security in mind. Mm-hmm. But it was very different. He was sending out a different message when people were talking with him. And he did an amazing job sort of saying that it's not just that. We really have to talk about how to secure this process and and make it not only repeatable and and make the process um I guess what's the word I'm looking for? Make it uh, – attack it in a holistic way. Holistic, there we yes, go. So it, look at yeah. it in a holistic way, not just from the, the concept of, of software developer, that it made me really step out and go, I, I want to be involved in this. this is, there's something good here because usually I, my struggle in the past has been trying to convince software developers yeah. that they needed to do that. If that wasn't the battle, um, at this point we were able to do some great things because he has a great background and a great team. That, like Nexon Lab in general has a great team of, of cloud um, architects, the people that understand how to bring um, environments and modernize them into the cloud in a secure way. And then I take it even a step further with how to challenge some of that security as well as look at the, um, the companies that we're dealing with from a little bit higher standpoint. So instead of mm-hmm. just their development environment, to take a look from the CEO and the board really down and how to integrate that then to work on different compliances that exist in the environment, SOC 2 compliance, all these different things that we have to worry about and bring them all together um, so that you're concentrating, so you're, so you're getting, you're, you're staying left of Bain, as we say. We're shifting the thought process to the left. Um, and he's just been amazing at empowering his team and, and us to to sort of drive that initiative forward. And it's it's been great. So I've been, we've been there for about a year now. And uh, I don't see going anywhere time soon. So. No. So, yeah, I mean, he, he hit the nail on the head with that. I, I don't know what else really you can add. Um, we're just uh, a group of folks that really take um, digital transformation seriously. And we focus in, you know, secure uh, development and cybersecurity. And yeah. that's I mean, yeah, you nailed it. That's it. 
I don't know. How, I don't know how you follow that. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate the work you guys are doing for the industry. It was great to have you here at the A3 Forum. We'll have links to uh, connect with you folks over on the show notes page for this episode. Awesome. awesome. I just want to thank you for being on the show. Thanks thank for having you us. So very much. It, really appreciate it. Chris. Cheers. Thanks. All right, one down, five to go. If you want to connect with NextLink Labs, you can do that at nextlinklabs.com or just head to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash A3Forum. I'll also have links to connect with Jay, Jeremy, and all the other guests on LinkedIn there as well. Next up, Jay Call will be joining us for the rest of the interviews, and our next guest is Fadi Saad. This is where we get into the robotics portion of the episode and even take on the question of what is a robot? That's toward the middle of our next 15-minute segment, but first, you should know that Fady is the co-founder of Mass Robotics, and he's going to tell you all about them right now. Well, hey, first order of business, cheers. Cheers. Fady, it's good to have you on the show. Same here. Good to see you guys. Mm. Well, as with any trade show, we eventually get to a proper, I shouldn't say trade show, this is a business forum, but with any... Any forum event, we always get to a proper manufacturing happy hour when the happy hour rolls around. So this is a very literal question right now. So, Fady, when someone asks you, hey, you know, what is Mass Robotics? What do you do? How do you answer that if you're having a beer with someone? Yeah, I uh, just say Mass Robotics is the largest hub for robotics startups in the U.S. Uh, Basically, what we do is we help companies move from prototyping to production. So most incubators and accelerators, they focus companies, move from an idea to a prototype. Mm-hmm. Um, and in robotics and manufacturing, we know that uh, this is not enough because uh, once you are in the prototyping stage, it's very hard to move from there to production. So we put together a very unique model. Uh, I call it a startup escalator model. Okay, startup escalator, got yeah, it. Just to differentiate ourselves from sure. incubation and acceleration <laughs> and just kind of complicate things yeah, uh, yeah. more. Um, but uh, it's really very simple. It's um, three key um, pillars for the model. The first one is a shared physical infrastructure because this is one of the problems. You are not just developing software where you need a laptop and internet. Mm-hmm. You need physical stuff. You need 3D printers. You need uh, a machine shop. You need uh, laser cutters. You need lots of sensors. You need lots of components. And if you are a small company, it's very expensive to build all of this on your own. Mm-hmm. So we developed a state-of-the-art, world-class, 40,000 square feet of shared office and lab space in the heart mm-hmm. of Boston. Yep. And uh, we made all of this accessible for the companies that get accepted to mass robotics. And there is no time limit on how long they can stay there. It's um, kind of a self-regulating process because you get to pay. It's not a free space mm-hmm. because we want to make sure that this is a real market dynamics and open market uh, approach. Sure. And once you are in mass robotics, you get access to office space, you get access to lab space, you get access to our machine shop, CNC, 3D printers, sensors library, all of that. So this is the first pillar. The second one is access to corporate partners. So we went out and we built a network of 40 corporate partners. Those are a mix of end users of robotics, suppliers, manufacturers, and also investors in robotics. So today we have companies like Amazon Robotics, FedEx, Honda, Mitsubishi Electric, Analog Devices. And just last year we added uh, Teradyne, PNG, uh, AWS, Danfoss, and and, and few more. So, um, and the idea is, again, if you are just starting kind of to build your product, yep. it takes a long, long time to develop relationships with those large corporates. So we brought all of these relationships 
and it's pretty accessible for the companies once they are a mass robotics. The third piece is the programming and the network uh, um, kind of element, which mm -hmm. is we do lots of networking events, demo days, deep dives into manufacturing, into logistics, into uh, advanced manufacturing, all of that. And the idea is to connect the users with the developers, with the investors, so that you have a very vibrant community yeah. and uh, you just maximize the interaction that's happening. Yeah, I've always thought of you guys as fostering collaboration in the robotics world, getting people to work together. When you talk about being a startup escalator, bringing in the corporate partners, having that networking yep. folks, it all seems to, to add up to that. Jake, I'm going to pass it to you next for uh, the next question. Yeah, so I mean, we, we really got through the whole run through. One of the companies that comes to mind, um, you know, you can share it. You know, how, how did you help um, Waypoint? go yep. from a, a startup company to help them transition through capital and really you part the, the company that helped them help them through the acquisition yep. was also something you connected with mass robotics so Very true. you know let's go through a success story and then also then how is that impacting the future of manufacturing manufacturing always was viewed as a really closed space no one wanted to work together there was no discussions everyone was a rival I'm not going to help you because you're infringing on my territory yeah. how is that changing now? Yeah, so uh, Waypoint is a great company. It's a great example. Jason is an uh, amazing guy that uh, we have been working with. I actually have known Jason since he was at Sci-Fi Works. So, uh, and, and this was right at the time that we were starting Just Mass Robotics. So we go way back. And uh, when he was uh, starting Waypoint, uh, we had lots of conversation with me and the rest of the team at Mass Robotics. And uh, we really helped in terms of uh, connection to talent, connection to uh, some of the customers, some of the corporate partners that we have. We uh, put them in touch with uh, Mitsubishi Electric, for example, P&G, and a few other companies. And um, at certain point, um, one of the, the, the key things that we provide is because of the unique position we have in the ecosystem, we have this exposure to hundreds of companies. So when a CEO like Jason come to us and say, this is how the company look like in terms of revenues, in terms of product development, in terms of funding, where should I go from there? What would be the right way to go? Should I raise more funding? Should I seek acquisition? Where, where would I go? And because we have this exposure, we are in a very unique position to give some insights about the collective dynamics of the market. So one of the things I did at that time is, uh, you know, Jason, um, I don't know exactly uh, what you should be doing, but I know who can help you. And I put him in touch with one of our corporate partners, which is Cowan, a 100-year investment bank. Mm -hmm. So those are guys who have the data, have the network, have the insights about everything about kind of the financial next step. And then Cowan was the key broker between Locus and Waypoint, and ultimately we know the story. Locus ended up acquiring Waypoint, which was a, a great win for everyone. And for Locus, for Waypoint, for Cowan, and for Mass Robotics. And I think for the larger robotics community in general, because it just increased investors' confidence. Because it's not enough to come up with cool technology, and it's not enough to sell it, and it's not enough to raise tons of funding mm -hmm. unless you actually can exit. Yeah. And everyone can cash yeah. out. So this is very important to complete this cycle. And I'm very excited over the last seven years that we have seen many exits. I mean, for a long time, Kiva was the only kind of story we can brag about right. in robotics. Yeah. Yep. But now we have Berkshire Gray. We have, I mean, Locus, I mean, probably they will go public very soon at market cap above the $2 billion valuation. 
So all of these are great success stories for the, the collective robotics community. And for the second half of your question about manufacturing, I think it's changing a lot because it's not the traditional kind of manual manufacturing. Now we are speaking about advanced manufacturing. It's, uh, it's about flexible manufacturing. It's about developing cells. It's using collaborative robots together with uh, highly customized manufacturing. I mean, uh, uh, Daniel, Daniel Theobald, uh, he always spoke about the mass production and quantities of one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think manufacturing is changing. And, and one of the key thrusts that we have in mass robotics is advanced manufacturing. And we have been working with local manufacturers in Massachusetts. We have been working with the Arm Institute. Uh, and it's a, it's a super fundamental thing, not only for the industry, I, I would say even for the, the country as a whole. Uh, because not only about creating jobs, it became a matter of a national security. Right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, if we cannot produce some of the essential and critical products that we have and, and we are fully dependent on other countries to manufacture those for us, it's a problem. Right? And, um, and, and, and the other key question that sometimes we don't speak about is the actual manufacturing of robots. Mm. Yeah, I'm getting meta here. Yeah. Like, we always think about robots, robots making stuff. Making but how do we make robots? Yeah. Exactly. Who's going to be the hub for manufacturing the robots of the world? Is it the US or somewhere else? So, I think it's a fundamental question. I think that now. Where, where is that right now for someone that might not be familiar with, with robots? Uh, in terms of robots. Uh, yeah, where they're being made. Where's that shaping up? Who's, I, I who's guess we, we, we talk. Talk industrial robots or AMRs, AGVs? What yeah. do you want to? So it's a. Thank you for yeah. pointing this out. Is, yeah. is what's robots? You know, mm -hmm. um, and uh, I get this question a lot. I mean, when I speak with, I mean, investors and corporates, and I mean, lots of. Uh, what do you mean by robots? Is it yeah. humanoids or what do you mean? And um, I, I came up with this simplification of what a robot is. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, it's automation, so something that moves, yeah. plus mm -hmm. AI, a little bit of intelligence. This mm -hmm. equals robots. Mm -hmm. So if you take the AI out of it, it's automation. And if you take the automation out of it, it's the software AI. If you mix those together, then you get robotics. Interesting. It's an interesting so, yeah, I haven't heard that formula. I've, I've never heard that's that why, terminology before. That's why an iPhone is not a robot in, in this definition because it has tons of AI, mm -hmm. but it does not move. Yeah. There is no actual motion there. The iPhone but, example always makes it really easy to visualize. It, yeah. Because right? everyone's got one. And, and a drone is a robot. Mm -hmm. and, and a self-driving car is a robot. A truck, an autonomous truck is a robot. A uh, collaborative robot, obviously, is a robot. And uh, I think also robotics is not only the complete platforms, the full stack, the hardware and software, but the feeding technology. I mean, machine vision. Mm -hmm. IoT is, is, I mean, it's, the boundaries are very blurry between like IoT and robotics. And I think eventually what we will be speaking about is not AI, not robotics, not automation. We'll be speaking about smart systems. So we'll be speaking about smart manufacturing systems. Yeah. We'll be speaking about smart logistics systems. 
We'll be speaking about smart construction systems. This is what's going to happen. Eventually, the end user doesn't care about all of these terminologies. They yeah. want something that works, it's efficient, it's cost-effective, and all of they that. They just want a smart system. I mean, it makes Here perfect sense. Yeah. This is not the direction I expected this no, to go tonight, not, but this, no, is, this has not. been great. So we're, we're rolling here. We're at, we're at the end of this discussion, so how do we want to wrap this? I, I'd say let's go back to mass robotics here a little bit. You know, how do sure. people get aligned with you guys or connect with you, work with you, maybe the easier yeah, way to describe I, it? I think there are different ways that uh, people can get connected. with. If you are a startup, uh, obviously you can apply to become a resident of mass robotics. We have okay. an online application. You just go through it. Uh, if you are a large corporate uh, and you want to become a partner of Mass Robotics and basically leverage the network, the access, the expertise that we have, you can reach out to become a corporate partner. Um, if you are a student and you want to get exposed to some of the STEM programs that we have, we have some interesting STEM activities. Uh, actually, uh, last year we launched uh, a program called Jumpstart. Mm -hmm. A very impressive program for high school students. And basically, we pay the students to attend these sessions, and they have a secured, guaranteed internship in one of the corporate uh, sponsors of the program. So fascinating, amazing program. It's just um, uh, very impressive. The, you look at the, the young kids and, and how much engaged they are. Um, it, it just gives us a lot of hope and opti optimism for the, uh, the future. So you can um, reach out. We, um, we have a newsletter, regular one, that um, we advertise all what's happening, new residents, new partners, all the events. Um, yeah, so it's uh, lots of activities. Our website is massrobotics.org. Yep. And uh, anyone can go there and, and subscribe to our newsletter and uh, reach out to us. And that's Mass Robotics, like Massachusetts. But, you know, from what I heard, you know, you're talking about startups. You're talking about big corporations. Yeah. You're talking about students. You're really helping make robots for the masses. When, when we, to the masses, oh, if it's you will. A, Yeah, it's a very good point. <laughs> when we were choosing the name for uh, our organization, the, uh, the founders, we came together and we had a long debate about that. And we ended up saying, I mean, we had different views. Like, I mean, we don't want to give the impression that it's only regional-focused thing. Yeah. And then we came to the conclusion, you know what? Uh, we will call it mass robotics, but deep inside we know it's a critical mass of mm. robotics activities. Ooh. And Man, we have deep. been helping companies out of Massachusetts, even companies outside of the U.S. Yeah. Uh, our corporate partners are from all over the world. So... Uh, don't, don't get the word mass kind yeah. of uh, uh, limit uh, your imagination uh, of what I, you can I, do I was with hoping, I was hoping my wordplay might unveil another story. As <laughs> That's a great story. Well, <laughs> I, I don't think we can wrap up any better than that. Hey, a final cheers, Fady. Thanks so much for jumping on Thank the show. Thank you very much, Chris. Appreciate Thank it. you. Thank, Thank you, you guys. for hosting me. It's pretty cool what Mass Robotics is doing with their shared physical infrastructure, corporate partnerships, and programming, networking, and demo days. Just a great organization. This leads me to another question, though. Want to get into robotics as a career? That's what we're going to talk about next. We're going to chat with Susie Teal, Vice President at the ARM Institute. All right, Susie. It's great, great to have you here on Manufacturing Happy Hour. And it's, it, it's funny because we were just chatting over lunch, and I said, hey, if we were to ever do a podcast, theoretically, I would ask you this question. If we were having a drink, how would you describe what the ARM Institute does? So, first question. 
what does the Arm Institute do as if we're having a beverage here in Florida or up in Pittsburgh where it's based? Oh. Nice to be on your podcast and lovely to start the year off seeing you both uh, at A3, which is my favorite conference to start off the year. So um, the Arm Institute is a very unique organization in the United States. We are one of 16 institutes that were formed starting in 2012 to try to advance the state of advanced manufacturing so that um, automation is more accessible to especially small and medium-sized manufacturers. So we do this very differently from other organizations. We all form consortiums, and -hmm. we have member consortiums, and they work on projects that are funded by the federal government. And then we make the output available from these projects to our members. And our projects typically are in two different areas. They're either technology-based, we're trying to advance the state of robotics and AI, Mm -hmm. or they're workforce-based. Because as you both probably know, one of the biggest challenges in manufacturing, in fact, the biggest challenge, is lack of skilled workforce and so we do focus in that area as well so let's talk about resources i think that's one of the cool things that you guys have you have a website filled of content that's available for people who want to learn about robotics how is that such an important initiative for what you guys are trying to do right now Uh, Roboticscareer.org, which is that website, is something that's really critical, we believe, to the the United States and for people who are really interested in manufacturing careers. There is a belief or a misnomer that you need a PhD from MIT or Stanford um, or Carnegie Mellon University to work with robotics, and that simply isn't true. You can work with robotics as a technician or an operator in a manufacturing environment with an associate's degree or a special trade degree. And so what we've attempted to do is help people understand the breadth of educational offerings that there are in the United States to allow them to gain the skills in order to have a well-paying, middle-class job working with robots in manufacturing. So roboticscareer.org lists close to 13,000 programs now across almost 2,000 organizations in the United States and Puerto Rico that provide this type of education. So one of the big things that we look at is emerging workforces. Millennials and Gen Zs, as we learned this morning from Alan, and that's really the, the future available workforce for manufacturing. I think one of the things that the website's doing, what ARM's doing, is it's creating more of awareness around how people can go into the industry right away with not having to go to a four-year engineering degree, as you stated. What are ways that manufacturers and end users can really leverage this website, or what ARM's doing in general? to create more awareness to the industry that's going to benefit everyone? It's a great question. I think uh, for employers, what we've really tried to do is we've made this site slightly different from anything that you might see in the industry because we actually work within our consortium and we work with manufacturing employers to say what skills and competencies are the most critical for these types of jobs, these advanced manufacturing jobs. And if you look on our website, every one of those 2,000 programs has skills and competencies identified with them. So if an employer wants to upskill their existing or their existing workforce to work with robotics and they think they need these four or five skills, they can easily come and search our website and find out what programs are nearby that provide those skills. So that's one way that I think we're really unique that the employers can use us either by bringing new people on board or by upskilling their existing employees to work with the uh, advanced um, 
automation technology that they'd like to bring into their environment. We will be adding later this year some job matching capabilities too to help the employers fill those almost 800,000 jobs that we hear that are out there in manufacturing today um, that are unfilled. So we're here at the A3 Business Forum. I kind of look at this as a kickoff to the year for, for work, for automation, for state of the industry. So last question, going into 2022, what are you excited about? Oh, a lot to be excited about. Probably the biggest thing among uh, roboticscareer.org, we're really excited about that because we really hope to have an impact on filling some of these jobs, mm -hmm. is the focus now on artificial intelligence. Okay. And we see that now here at the conference, here at the A3 conference. Uh, we put a lot of work actually last summer into doing more research and discovery over what are the key areas where automation can really, where AI can really have an impact on automation. And we're going to be publishing some of those results over the course of this year and building upon that what we learned. So I think it really is taking uh, robots, which we know have been around for decades, but really introducing this additional layer of um, intelligence that allows them to take on even more challenging jobs than perhaps we thought they weren't able to take on before. Um, and that will just create more jobs, as we talked about today, right? They'll create more skills needed and more capabilities for people to have more jobs because, as we've all seen, automation tends to create jobs. It doesn't tend to take them away. And so I think we'll see robots start to move away from just the dull, dirty, and dangerous jobs, but some of the other jobs, which humans still don't want to do, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and I think we'll also start to see some better integration between some of the different robotic uh, devices. Right now, as you know, a lot of the robots have their own proprietary languages. They don't speak very well to each other. Yeah. AI will help that. Some of the investments that we see being made in oper interoperability are also gonna have that too. Well, we talk about the 3Ds on this show quite a bit, so right. we're excited to see robotics go beyond those. Every resource we mentioned can be found at the show notes page over at manufacturinghappyhour.com. I just wanted to say, Susie, thanks so much for jumping on the show today. Oh, great to see you both, and looking forward to talking to you again in the future about all the great things happening in manufacturing. Fantastic. Absolutely. Roboticscareer.org. And again, for everything we mentioned in this episode, you can find those links in the show notes at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash A3forum. You know, I like how Susie said she's excited about artificial intelligence. It's kind of cool hearing the consistency between Susie and Fady's answers here if you caught that during those last two interviews. Anyway, we already started talking about talent and education there a bit, and we're going to get into both of those more in our last two interviews. But first, let's dive into robotics and automation again with someone who is very excited to jump on Manufacturing Happy Hour. Greg Smith, president of Industrial Automation at Teradyne. Well, I've been, I've been preparing for this moment for days. For days. We would hope so. Yeah. yeah. It's a big thing now. <laughs> it is. It's huge. But, you know, we want to talk about you. We want to talk about Teradyne. We want to talk about what is happening in the industry. So, to the audience out here, what's Teradyne? Or who is Teradyne? So, Teradyne is a 60-year-old company. Um, for 55 of those years, we built, we built things that tested other things. So, we were the, the company that essentially invented the testers for semiconductor devices. And we've grown with that industry. So uh, we're about a $3.5 billion company. Um, and in 2015, uh, we got into the automation business when we bought Universal Robots. And the reason we did that was that uh, even though Test is a great business and we make good money, uh, we didn't see the opportunity for sort of another 60 years of growth <laughs> out of that space. 
And when we looked around, um, we were looking for something that would that would be good at, you know, yeah. that uh, would uh, benefit from, uh, you know, knowing how to put complicated things into into manufacturing environments and have them run reliably, um, and uh, and an industry where uh, a company with a global presence would help other companies grow faster. And when we looked at automation, we saw that there was all this all of this innovation going on that was sort of disrupting the way automation had been. Um, these small companies that were coming in with good ideas, uh, leveraging compute power, AI, other things to try and try and um, do automation in a different way. And we thought that the combination of sort of our global scale and those new ideas, we could really make something of that when you combine that with the fact that there aren't as many people to be in jobs <laughs> anymore. You know, yeah. like if you look at the statistics, um, right now we're at the point where it's like the the smallest portion of total global population is of working age, and it's going to get worse over the next 10 mm -hmm. years. So more and more people are going to be trying to produce all of the goods that the world needs for a larger world population. And we thought that was a pretty good fundamental for to get into a business. Absolutely. One of your quotes that you took away was, we want people to work with robots, not work like robots. How is that? That was such a great takeaway. Oh, I stole that from the UR folks, by the way. They, they, <laughs> they came up with that. They, I mean, so how does well, that speak to the brands, though, that, that we're looking at? I'm mean, here. Universal yeah. Robotics, Mobile Industrial Robot. I, I immediately think of those. I think flexibility, collaborative mm -hmm. design, working alongside people, and not the idea of trying to take people out of the equation. So there's the, the thing is we are... Um, we're kind of like the ultimate brownfield um, automation company, right? So we are not, if, if you are going to invent a lights out factory, we're not, the, we're not the people you should work with. You know, if you're in logistics, you should go to auto store. And if you're, you know, if you're building cars, you should go to Fanuc and, and, and get a line builder and design it with no people in the process whatsoever. But if you have a factory and you want to introduce automation in a gradual way, then you need robots that are going to be able to work around people, and you're going to be able to. You're going to need to be able to introduce that in a way that your workforce can support, and that's true for both the UR and for AMRs. That the sort of the fundamental thing is they need to be able to work safely in an environment where people are going to be around, and it makes it a lot more complicated. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a much more complex world when you start introducing people to it. Um, but we think that the uh, the opportunity for us is really there. No, that's great. So one more thing real quick. Small to medium-sized manufacturers represent 96 to 97% of the companies here in the United States. It's those mm -hmm. small to medium-sized businesses. A lot of those businesses view automation as a high risk because they view it as a high integration, a high cost. Yep. How has that changed? Not necessarily specific to UR or to Mir, but just in general in the industry. How is that changing moving forward? You know, it's a... It's a great question because um, have, have either of you read the Lean Startup? Parts of it. Eric I, have, I need to get all the way through it. It's on my shelf. You know, actually, it's one of those business books that if you read the first half, you can stop. Okay. Um, all right. Good to know. Good to know. I had a roommate in San Francisco give it to me. That's where I acquired that. <laughs> but the, uh, the, the, the thing that's really cool about that is they say that one of the keys um, to, to finding product market fit is you actually study the customers that are most successful. You know, so if you have some customers that are taking the journey that you think all of your customers should take, look at them. So 
I, so there are a lot of SMEs that are leveraging especially universal robot stuff um, really successfully. And, but it's not general. It's not generalized. And so we're trying to figure out what's different about the ones that succeed. And the key that we see is the ones that succeed, um, they go into it knowing that it's not, it's not as simple as an iPhone. You know, that like a, a lot of the way that people have pitched this stuff is it's, oh, it's a robot. It's so simple. You just set it up and it goes. And there's a salesman that comes in that knows the product in and out. And he like sets something up in 15 minutes and then he walks out the door. And the customer's like, what the hell do I do now? Yeah. Um, so even though it's easy to program and even though the safety features are sort of built into the point where you're unlikely to hurt yourself with the product, you still need to know how to mount it so it doesn't shake. You still need to know how to set up a work cell so that you can pick things up and put them down in the right place. You need to be able to pick the right end effector. And all of that is skill. You know, that's stuff that people need to learn. And the, the small and medium-sized businesses that we see that are successful with that either have an owner or an employee that gets into it. That's like, oh, this is, this is something that I can learn. And they learn it. And they, and, and they discover that the, the key isn't really like, oh, I can, I can replace people. It's more like I can get the same number of people to cover two shifts or I can get an extra, you know, I can get extra lights out time on these machine tools. And, you know, so it's the thing that it's, it's hard is when we start comparing ourselves to other like consumer technologies, the, the, the geometric growth rates can get really, really high, really, really fast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about SMEs, like the whole distribution system to SMEs, the whole, it's, it's not a fast-moving industry. Yeah. And if you look at how long it took like CNC machine tools to come in or laser cutting to come in, it's like a 10, 20-year process. But the, but the total potential is huge. Yeah. So like we're, we're growing 40% per year. And That's my boss incredible. is like, why can't you grow more? Um, and it's a great question because it's like that. Like, we think there's like a two hundred billion dollar potential market for collaborative um, articulated robots, and another two hundred million dollars for two hundred billion dollars for AMRs. Mm -hmm. And if you look at total sales in both of those markets, it's below three percent. Like we've satisfied less than three percent of that whole thing so far. So any board of directors is going to be like. Well, when are you going to get the other 197 mm -hmm. billion? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but there are so many little problems to solve in different parts of that market to open that up that I think we'll be at it for a long time. And I think we'll have to be satisfied with only 40% growth until, yeah. <laughs> until we sort of, un until you turn but, the magic key. Absolutely. The, their worst problems to have, we're here at the A3 Business Forum. We're kicking off the year. Why are you excited about automation going into 2022 and beyond? I, I think um, I have the advantage of uh, not having the kind of history in automation that most of the people at this conference have. Mm -hmm. and, and so I can be the irrational optimist. You know, I've, nice. I've not been through my first automation downturn. And, I, um, and I've been, like, busy drinking my own Kool-Aid for the last year yeah. in terms of the potential <laughs> in the market. Um, I know that there are going to be bumps, but the... the, the the basic, the basic story that there are going to be fewer people to fill manufacturing jobs is 
kind of incontrovertible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the fact that outsourcing is a strategy has kind of is at the end. Is what was kind the of a statistic thing. you said today earlier? Oh, so in 2020, I was like desperately Googling yesterday, trying yeah. to find something interesting to say. Um, and you know, so in 2020, um, 54% of the companies, manufacturing companies in America were considering reshoring. And they repeated the survey oh, in 2021, yeah. and it's 83% It was a, bi- now. It was yeah. a big change. Incredible. Quick change. Not a surprise. No, well, really I mean, not. I'm, yeah. But it's, it's also one of those surveys that's about intentions. Yeah. yeah. You know, so what are the actions? Like, when are they going to spend the money? So when we look at our sales numbers, we definitely see a slightly stronger uptick in high-wage regions than in low-wage regions. But... Both of them have been growing a lot. So it's not like we can say, oh, there's definitely a trend where manufacturing is coming back home. It's all anecdotes. But I'm, we're, we're really excited about that. And, and like, the other thing that I think is cool is, um, I don't know if you're, if, if you're into sustainability or anything, but the idea of like cutting 10,000 miles out of a supply chain in terms of transport costs. Huge. There's actually like a carbon foot impact of that. And, you know, I... I know some people who care about that from an environmental perspective, and I know some other people that care that containers cost 740% more mm-hmm. than they used to. Mm-hmm. Kind of so, a win-win, really. Yeah. <laughs> so it, 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 it kind of transcends politics at that yeah. point. Well, you've been listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour at A3, home of irrational optimism. Yes. say that. <laughs> so we appreciate you jumping on today's show. Awesome. Thank Great. you. Okay, we're switching gears here a bit now. I mentioned it earlier, but now we're going to take a deeper dive into education. We're going to chat with Professor Jim Devaprasad, who is the Director of Robotics at Lake Superior State University. And whether you know that school or not, you're about to learn more about them. All right, Jim, we're excited to have you here. And it's particularly exciting because we want to talk about education here at Mm -hmm. the Forum, right? And you have one of the, uh, let's say, original robotics programs in the, the educational the world. The OG. The OG, as I said it before. <laughs> uh, Lake Superior State University. So, you know, with, with Manufacturing Happy Hour, we always like to say, hey, describe it to us as, as if we're having a, a beverage with one another and relaxing it at the end of the workday or something. So tell us a bit how, how, this whole got all, all, how this all got started, and then we'll get into some of the education topics. Absolutely, Chris, and thanks for having me, and, you t- and likewise, Jake. Um, OG, I was just thinking it'll be, it'll be wonderful if it, if it eventually becomes the GOAT, you know. <laughs> GOAT, greatest <laughs> of all time. Hey, so maybe we can go. We've got two letters there. I love, OG. I love it. <laughs> Um, yeah, so um, Lake Superior State University was the first university in the United States to start a bachelor's degree in robotics engineering technology. Mm-hmm. This was in 1985. And uh, it was inspired by a very visionary um, uh, dean of engineering then who could foresee what's happening in the robotics world. And of course, at that point, robotics was still a grunge thing where mm-hmm. it was doing some welding or something like that at yeah. GM. And the fact that um, he saw that this was potentially going to be something that's going to take off. He figured that, well, let's make a mark. Let's be one of the first universities to train students mm-hmm. who are not just theoretically 
competent, but also practically competent. So kind of bring in the applied aspects of robotics into the engineering technology field. And so we got uh, going on, on that. And, 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 the, and then that was the starting point. And then, you know, probably just good fortune. I'm glad it wasn't some other field where we just took a dive after that. Mm -hmm. it, the field just continued to grow and actually didn't grow a whole lot in the 80s and 90s. In fact, we had some tough times in terms of industry still kind of confused as to what really, how do we use these robots and the, and the expertise were not really sure. Mm -hmm. And it's really in the, in the 2000s we could clearly see that growth. And then of course, in the last five years, it just, mm -hmm. uh, it, it, I think the way the industry's adapted and trying to make robotics, not something it's like, ooh, it's only for the big boys, mm -hmm. but trying to have it something that's available for medium and small industries, the collaborative robots and things like that, where you can quite uh, easily and affordably implement robotic systems and, and then throw in pandemic, throw in labor shortage, throw in supply chain issues. Mm -hmm. Now it seems like, as you can see from the A3 conference, that um, there seems to be a lot of interest and growth in, in, in the use of robotics. So, so because of that start, one of the big advantages we have over other universities is the fact like we have 36 years of graduates out mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. And then I'll br put in Scott Lindemann's name in there. He was one of those graduates who graduated about 30 years ago. Yeah. I'll, I'll age him. Um, and um, and they're doing some amazing work in as engineers, managers, vice presidents, CEOs, whatever. And that has helped us continue to grow with support from industry and, and partners like that, where we are doing um, continue to do robotics. And now we moved into a offering a degree in robotics engineering, a degree in mechatronics. And now robotics has also become part of our electrical engineering, mechanical mm -hmm. engineering, because just the nature of the field, it's multidisciplinary. Mm -hmm makes sense to educate people to get them aware of that. So, so let's go to a couple of things. You mentioned Scott Littman. So for those of you who are listening to the audience, um, Scott Littman, as Jim said, was, was a student of Lake Superior State University. And then for me, my relationship to Scott Littman is Scott was the first person who hired me into the manufacturing industry. So when I was in high school, uh, 16 years old, Scott hired me and I cleaned the the shop floor, I swept, I blew yeah. out the CNC machines, huh. I wiped down the acetone on weldments, um, and that wow. got me into manufacturing right away. So it's, it's crazy how that, you know, just inspiration of, of educating has spread throughout the position where I might not have been here if Scott didn't hire me for yeah. that job to go and work for JR Automation at the time. Yeah, isn't he an awesome guy? He's been amazing. He's been an inspiration for a lot of, uh, the, he was even in our board of trustees at the university because of his genuine, you noticed that yesterday's genuine connection with uh, education and wanting to help young people. I'm not surprised. And uh, so it looks like you were bonding with uh, the robots and manufacturing even as of a 16-year-old. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Let's dive deeper into education. Why is it so important? Because I, I know Scott gives back, right? He, he, the position is in where he's at, but he still gives back to education universities because it gets it. Why is it so important for manufacturers, no matter what size you are? You could be a small to medium-sized builder of 20 employees, or you could be a Fortune 100 company. It doesn't matter. Why is it important to invest in education in our future workforce? Yeah, um, good question. The, the Because it's just simple... Uh, supply and demand. I mean, what they are finding, where the technology is going, and they need talented people. And um, and 
and of course the talented people come in uh, in different ways and they can off hire from um, people who have experience from other companies they can do I, I know in this field especially there's a lot of poaching <laughs> mm -hmm. just because it's supply and demand and yeah absolutely but um, I think industries are beginning to see that um, there is a lot of value in bringing somebody who's young has the ability to learn I mean that's what a good university is supposed to do right give them the ability to learn technology they really shouldn't be an expert at any one thing, but they should have a good broad background so that if um, you know a company like 3M or Fanuc Robotics or whomever uh, wants them to work on a certain aspect, they have the basic foundation to do that. So the industry is now finding that you know what what can we do to bring in such uh, young individuals who are not already set in their ways and they are willing to learn what is what is the culture and the way they're doing their technology in their firm, and then bring them up from there. So the connection with the universities, yeah. as well as having some influence in terms of what actually a curriculum, a good robotics or engineering mm -hmm. curriculum should have, has been very valuable. And for us in the education side, I mean, what's more important? I mean, they are our customers. Ultimately, our products are our students. So we should be able to have our products sellable. Yeah. And if they are providing input and we follow along and they are then finding that they are valuable assets for them, it's working out really well. So industry is certainly a big component. They, the industry uh, collaboration happens in so many different ways, apart from just hiring graduates. Mm -hmm. They can provide equipment expertise, uh, work with projects with the students, um, and, and, and uh, of course funding is something is helpful in terms of scholarships and so forth, uh, thereby, you know, when, and, and, in, and internships, so that these students, when they're even young uh, sophomores or juniors, they get an idea about what the field is about, get excited, make some money along the way, and then become good, viable engineers. So, so one, on that topic, to wrap things up, Brad, I don't know if everyone knows this. I think some people might assume, but Lake Superior State University, you're like Upper Peninsula, yeah. right? So when you talk about the tie-ins with industry, you mentioned you had a proactive dean there at the start that really got the robot robotics program going. But what is the industry like up in the UP, right? What kind of – was there a, a relation to robotics that said, hey, this is the spot to, to start a program? I'm just curious. Fantastic question. <laughs> Sometimes the, que the question brings back the one question question sometimes because of, what are we doing here in the UP? You know? <laughs> Why are we not in Detroit or Grand like Rapids? copper up there. I <laughs> yeah. visited the so, UP. Yeah, so, no, it's, so uh, the one industry is, you know, fishing, <laughs> that's fishing, sure. yep, fishing yep. and uh, it's very hospitality-based um, um, town. Um, so the answer is no. We don't have uh, mm -hmm. automation-based industries. The nearest, nearest robotics company from Susan Marie's in Escanaba, which is about two and a half, three hours away, where they have some robotics in their facilities. Mm -hmm. But um, um, but you can but you can see how um, uh, when when industry is looking for f uh, folks, they, they don't they they reach out m much more than the local area. Mm -hmm. So um, you know we just got a communication with Simplematic Automa Automation in Virginia, for example, because once the graduates go out there and they prove themselves, it doesn't matter uh, where they are, um, and, and if they have to reach out to a small school in the Upper Peninsula, it is, it is working out. But I must admit, though, that 
it, there are times when we wish there was a very strong industrial manufacturing base nearby mm -hmm. because that would help like for example a student who wants to do an evening internship or sure. we want to hire a an engineer uh, not hire but uh, a, a guest speaker to mm -hmm. come from a company mm -hmm. to come and mingle with the students those kind of aspects we miss out on but in today's world as you know with zoom and all of that we really have been able to overcome that and um, I, I feel that um, our location is good and bad, is mm -hmm. good from a perspective that there are a lot of students who come from Detroit area, Grand Rapids area, mm -hmm. like Scott Lindemann, um, because they want to go into a small school where um, the class size is small and you get that one-on-one -on -one attention, but you don't have to pay the price of a public, you know, uh, private university. So we are we are one of the 15 state universities in Michigan, and we are the smallest. So our mm -hmm. average class size is like 14 students, Kay. but you still pay the state prices. So students do come from far away. Sure. And that's the nice thing when they want to get away from home, maybe. Uh, on the other hand, um, the the remoteness also means a little bit more challenge in recruitment of students because we are not yeah. very visible. We know we are you know like Michigan State or Michigan's right there with the mm -hmm. population is and stuff like that. So it's good. It depends on how you look at it. And then of course there's the issue like in, on a day like today, like play. I will get home with uh, yeah 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 flying back. Weather weather is an issue today. <laughs> right. Well, if I heard one thing from that or like a make to make a generalization, it's right. We should never let location stop us from doing Absolutely. what we want to do or what's Absolutely. important. So. That's such a good point. <laughs> and and, and in, in today's world especially, right? I mean, with all the technology that's coming in, uh, in terms of reaching from uh, with media and other other means, um, it's not bad. I mean, I, I still remember when I joined Lake State 35 years ago, and we just had one Kmart, and that's about it. And yeah. all our shopping was on Kmart. Today, it's like Amazon.com. I yeah. mean, I don't, wherever you live, <laughs> yeah, the stuff gets shipped to you in two days, right? So it's worked out. I mean, so Sault Ste. Marie is quiet, and, and it's an international border with Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. And it's gorgeous and beautiful. It depends. We have four very distinct seasons. And um, it depends on how you kind of take these seasons. And if you, if it's winter, it's a lot of snow. You could sit inside and and go. Oh my gosh, it's so cold out there. Mm -hmm. Or you can put on your you know snowshoes and get out there and have fun. Go know? ice fishing, right? Go oh, ice yeah. fishing, go right? Your snowbo snowboarding, yep. or or your uh, go snowmobiling. They even have snowmobiles you can rent, you know, just for a day and have a good time. Come back and you're done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Well, from the uh, from the snow up in the Upper Peninsula down here to Orlando, where we're having the A3 conference, Jim. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much, Chris and Jake. Appreciate it. Uh, Our pleasure. Have a good rest of your time here. Likewise. Always good talking about snowboarding and snowshoeing amidst deep conversations about robotics and automation. And guess what? You've made it to the final interview. So let's wrap by talking talent. Michael Sully Sullivan of Miller Resource Group is about to jump on with us. We actually did an A3 forum recap with him in 2020 before the pandemic, and he spent part of the conversation talking about lessons he learned from folks you're going to hear about again, like Alan Bolio of ITR Economics. So let's jump into an A3 refresher course here with Sully as we talk talent, hiring, and retention to wrap today's compilation. We're here. A3 Business Forum. Mm. Sully, last time you and I talked about this was two years ago. You just right. finished up the 2020 Forum. Mm. And little did you know at that time, that would be one of the last events that you went to. Yep. And I think the funny thing was we revisited a number of your predictions from that. And you were we were still pretty spot on yep. right away. It, did, it didn't deviate despite the fact 
that there had been a pandemic in there. But let's talk about today. Yep. One of the topics that, that was on there was labor. Correct. And you as a recruiting firm, Miller Resource Group, that's where your big focus is. So I'd love to hear some of your reflections on that because you're kind of a microcosm of your industry. What's going on with recruiters tends to reflect what's going on in the industry. So I'd love to hear some of your initial thoughts. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I'll, I'll preface my statement with, I think, what I mentioned to you last night. So to your point, this was, you know, last time we were all together was 2020, you know, pre-COVID. Um, I really, I can't emphasize this enough. Yes, this is a networking event, but this has much more of like a family reunion feel, Yep. you know, to, 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 to begin with, right? And so I just want to say kudos to Jeff Bernstein and everybody again at A3 for bringing us together. Um, by far my favorite event uh, yep. out of the year. Um, but to your question then, so... Last time we were here, the prediction was the 2020s as a whole was going to be a boom for automation, right? Um, what we're seeing now is it's not only a boom, but that growth is being accelerated, right? COVID, I think, forced a lot of hands in terms of, you know, adopting automation and robotics. Um, a lot of the positions that we've filled in the last 18 months or two years, both on the sales and engineering side, didn't exist a year ago, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of our clients now are realizing they have to capitalize in the current situation we're in. So I need folks on the sales side to go deeper and wider um, to uh, maybe open up, you know, new avenues within our, you know, key clients or maybe develop, you know, new customers. Now we need engineers yep. to come in to support those new projects. So the hiring is just at a fever pitch right now. A lot yep. of new positions being created. And then what Alan talked about this morning is uh, companies that are winning what we call the war on talent, those are the ones that are getting you know, creative. They're paying above average, right, mm -hmm. in terms of salaries. They're maybe offering um, more perks than they used to. You know, they're, they're shortening you know, their hiring or their, their interviewing you know, mm -hmm. processes, right? Mm -hmm. they're, they're trying to get as creative as they can. The companies that are still operating in 2019 mode yeah, those are the ones that are falling behind right now. Mm -hmm. So, and and I'm curious, you know, one one of the takeaways that I got from the event is right now, you know, I, I would say it was like decelerating decelerating rise yeah. for a lot of industries, right, and saying that there might be some softening mm -hmm. towards the end of the year. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you see any of that yet, or I assume you're still, and, and that Not, was kind of the point, right? It yeah. seems like it's still, you know, guns blazing right yeah, now. Yeah, we we haven't seen that yet. I mean. Uh, my desk personally has been at capacity for the better part of a year and a half. Mm -hmm. Most of my colleagues um, are, are at that point as well. Um, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, what we focus on as a firm. It's automation. Yep. And then the other side of the house is food and beverage manufacturing. Mm -hmm. We're starting to see that continue to merge. We're doing so much more collaboration as a team now than ever before because of that automation piece, right? So yeah. I think that we may be... I don't want to say we're never going to see the slowdown, but I think we may be the last to see it sure. on our end just because of the areas that we, we specialize in. I was going to say from a – and, Jake, actually, you jump in. I have one wrap-up question Yeah, so that. we just wrapped up ITR Economics. Right. Great presentation, great conversation. One of the slides on here was the implications of a younger workforce and going over the different generations from Gen Z's, Millennials, Gen X's, and Boomers mm -hmm. on available workforce. Yep. How are you seeing the industry changing as new workforces are stepping in and new positions are being you know, asked out there? Mm -hmm. I'm sure a, a company is communicating a position differently 
now to a millennial or to a Gen Z than what a, a boomer was Absolutely. or a Gen Xer was. No. What are you seeing changing in our industry in regards to that? So what I'm seeing changing um, is, is the messaging coming from the companies and then we have to mirror that message. It's not just this is the job, this is the responsibilities, you know, bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. Now we're having to articulate this is how you're making a difference. This is what you know, our solution is doing um, to aid in medical device manufacturing. It's all about the warm and fuzzies, what's if you impact? will. What's the impact? What's the impact, right? What are, what's mm -hmm. the global impact, societal impact, social impact, you name it. If you're making a difference and you're getting paid along the way, that's a great spot to be in, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's, I think, the messaging right now, the companies that are successful in hiring and retaining, they get that, right? And then, again, we're, you know, advocates for them to the industry. And sometimes we will have to sit down and really kind of say, okay, what's the story that we're going to say? Because we're not going to be a good partner to you if we're not on the same page, right? We don't want to oversell what, what you're trying to accomplish. But so, you know, what are you, what's your vision? What's your mission right now? How are we going to articulate that when we go to the market? And we got to make it, you know, without, again, fluffing it up, but we, we got to make it as, you know, there's got to be a sizzle factor there, yeah. as mm -hmm. Gary Miller would say. So social media was not even a thing 10 years ago in discussion with a lot of content, a lot of the social media that the person you're trying to hire and also the social media presence of the company that's trying to hire. Mm -hmm. You know, how is social media from LinkedIn to other, you know, sites out there, changing the hiring process sure. well i mean look at you know the three handsome guys at this table right now we all met because of or through social media yeah right um but i think too from a from a messaging or a branding perspective right you we all know companies that have really cool presence uh, you know on social media um and and then some don't some maybe you know i don't have the time or i don't see the value in it so again, the companies that, that, that get it, that are evolving, because if you're not changing, you're dying, right? That's the saying goes. So as it pertains to social media, you know, they're putting a lot more content out there um, with the solutions that they're brought. Hey, come be part of this. We're changing the world. This is how we're doing it. Cue the video, mm -hmm, right? Yeah. So that's, that's a huge part of it, too. And again, the companies that are doing that, they're the ones winning right now, plain and simple. So if we're looking ahead, right, if there's, uh, if we're, let's think a year out, two years out, mm -hmm. if there is some softening in mm -hmm. this space, we've talked about hiring the next generation, we've talked about current state, what do companies do to get ahead to make sure they're still pulling in the right talent and having the talent they right. need, even when things change? No, great question. I think that it starts, frankly, from the beginning, you have to have a strong onboarding mm -hmm. and training process. I think you then have to continue with that training, you know, and development as well. I mean, if you just take us as an example, we have weekly training sessions as an office and we're a pretty tenured group, but you always can be better. You're always striving for excellence, right? And I think a lot of companies um, are going, if they're not already, they're going to have to invest in some robust, you know, training. Uh, they're going to have to invest in um, even research and development. Right. What's the next thing for us? You mm -hmm. know, if, if you know, if, if we're, you know, 80 percent of our business is in automotive. Right. The 20 percent is is whatever. What do we need to do to kind of mix that up a little bit? Right. So if automotive slows down, we can quickly pivot 
and go into med device or you know whatever to kind of weather the storm yeah excellent well sully it's always good catching up with you i know we got another session to yep. jump into here so jake sully always a good conversation catch you soon yep thank you guys All right, so we jumped into that session. But now, as you're listening to this podcast, you know that the 2022 A3 Business Forum is over. But whether you were able to attend or not, we hope that you found this episode helpful. We discussed the automation and robotics industry, education, hiring, and cybersecurity, among other topics. So hopefully that provided at least a couple of aha moments as you take on the upcoming year. If you want to connect with any of the guests or check out any of the resources or companies mentioned in this episode, head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash A3forum. Regardless of whether you're listening to this now or two years down the line, while some trends change, the A3 Business Forum is a constant. Make sure you're following all the events that this group hosts by going to automate.org. And if you're listening to this before June 2022, you should definitely consider checking out their massive trade show in Detroit called Automate, taking place June 6th through 9th. You can get there by going to automateshow.com. And yes, Jake Hall and I will both be there. Speaking of Jake, hopefully you're following all of his content. He's the manufacturing millennial, and there's a good chance you're already following him on LinkedIn. If not, make sure you do that. But I'll have a spot for you to connect with him in the show notes as well. Again, that's manufacturinghappyhour.com slash A3 forum. Okay, I've given you far too many web links for this outro. Thanks so much for listening today. Again, hope you found it helpful. Check out A3, stay innovative, stay thirsty, and we'll catch you again here next week. Cheers. for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour, powered by the Industrial Network.